a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. To see, to see the face of God is to be destroyed. So God now veils himself in, in the flesh and blood of Jesus, and he uses that, those means, namely his flesh and his blood, his life and, and his death, he uses those means to save us. And when we were baptized at the font with God's name placed upon us, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with the sign of the cross being placed upon our forehead and our hearts marking as ones redeemed, we were adopted as sons of God. Uh, I think. Oh, huh? 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 <laughs> oh, oh. Are we doing the show now? Is the theme over? Like getting caught picking your nose, this is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> like getting caught reading, you know, some fight on Facebook. Oops. I don't. I am free from such misery. Out of obedience to your district president. That's right. Out of pure obedience to the district president and nothing else. Whatever happened to that idea of opening up a Pinterest, Table Talk Radio Pinterest account? <laughs> That's still in development. <laughs> you got you to gotta go to the social media class. You got to figure out the SEOs for the Pinterest and, you know. I understand that uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is all about social media now. Oh, yeah. That's right. They got Peter the Edit Monkey, Slayton. Up there, man in the Facebook page, That'd be causing sweet. all sorts of problems. Like, what do you do for a living? I make status updates. I post memes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have memes for lunch. Like what? What company in their right mind would pay a guy <laughs> to just update social media? Hey, take oh, it easy. I'm actually work for the Lutheran Church, Missouri. Senate. He's probably <laughs> listening to this show right now. Hey, Peter, love you. Thinking of memes to post. Now, now you you need to not bite the hand that feeds you because he's the one that does all your legwork of being um, what's that called a a grappling ninja or something like that grappling with the text. This is what someone said. It was groveling with the text. <laughs> that is wrong. You need to get like a manicure because I, if I gotta be looking at your hands, that's just I don't know if I want, if I like that. So I was listening to another different radio show today, and it was a guy telling a story about how he became a... What is it called when you're a man dressed like a woman? It's not... That's called... Cross-dresser. Uh, yeah, cross-dresser. He became a cross-dresser, a trans-dresser. And he said, it starts with the fingernails. <laughs> so, Which started with YouTube videos with my hands. <laughs> so it's a, he says, I went from having square fingernails like a man to having long manicured fingers more like a woman and then he went on to say and then i started painting them a manly color blue okay that's <laughs> so weird. i'm pretty sure anyway once you so start weird. once you get out the paintbrush my friend the adjective manly does not apply is gone yeah your man card is already taken away by that point all right um <laughs> other news we are no longer doing table talk radio the same boring way we used to See, we used got to do a new it, boring yeah, way. Yeah, we used to do it the boring way of starting with email, and now we're doing it the boring way with starting with a email. <laughs> Which, we're going to use your emails, dear listener, as a springboard for our games. So we're going to jump right into it. We got an email from uh, oh unsigned. Oh no, no, here it is, Michelle. Uh, and we're going to read Michelle's email. Good. And respond to it. Yeah, that means we don't have to do buzzwords anymore, huh? No, we do buzzwords. My buzzword for you is Adiafra. Oh, yeah, take that, Facebook. 
Adi, adi, afra, Nobody even knows what you're talking about re- with this Facebook jargon. Re- remember how you, everybody else, I, I don't, I, what do you think percentage of our listeners are on Facebook? 100? Well, let me. 99.9? Yeah, at least, because everyone in the world. Ha- so there was like a stat that said like 66 million people are on Facebook, and you're going, I don't think that many people have electricity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They got a battery powered Facebook. Now, uh, you, I, if, if you, if there is a listener out there who also does, who boycotts Facebook, we need to hear from you because, you know, sin always wants fellowship. And Evan is looking for sin. someone to, to, uh, strengthen his conscience, this resistance, but this will help us like find out if we have one single listener who is not on Facebook. So the you better voice of reason crying in the wilderness of social media. Now. Uh, but anyway, there's always fighting on the Facebook. And uh, you know the contemporary worship versus the not contemporary worship fight? And the, always the cry out from the contemporary worship supporting folks is, uh, adi, adi, afra, free. When you, when, did you used to play hide-and-go-seek when you were a kid? And you'd say, how does that go? Adi, adi, oxen, free. This is what, the, so what we say now. Adi, adi, afra, free, which means if I say the word adi, afra, it's code word for I can do whatever I want. Oh, nice. So, so adiaphora means so, let me do what I want. Awesome. Let me so if if uh, let's say I w- just want to watch football all Sunday afternoon, yeah, and not help with like wedding thank you cards, I can say adiaphora free, right? Yeah, that you, yeah, that's right. You say look at got it adiaphora awesome. wedding it. thank you cards are adiaphora. Yeah. Hey, could you tell Mandy about this trick? <laughs> Mandy's going to be like a Cheshire Lutheran and say, that's not what Adiaphora means. <laughs> Dang it. Adiaphora doesn't mean you just get to do whatever hey, you it want. it works for the praise band, guys. Why you, that's what you say. Me? You're like, hey, not being able to do what I want is Adiaphora. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should do the liturgy like we've done it for a thousand years. Adiaphora. Okay, never mind. <laughs> do whatever you want. So okay. you're you're in the in the midst of this this like Facebook debate or something. Huh? No, I'm thinking about jumping into it. I've I've just put my finger in here, but so, okay. Yeah. But so, we're gonna get to it. All right. We're get to all it. right, all right. So my theological buzzword for you is consubstantiation. This is something that uh Lutherans don't believe. And it's the idea that uh in the sacrament are both the bread and body of Christ and wine and the blood of Christ. And you would say, wait a minute, I thought Lutherans kind of believe that. Well, we believe in real presence, so that when God uh, says, uh, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, um, that yes, it is his body and it is his blood, and the bread and wine continue to be there. So maybe a little bit like how um, Jesus incarnate was true God and yet true man. Um, but what we don't believe, and is act, in fact a Christological heresy to believe, is that somehow Jesus was half deity and half God. Uh, no, it's a uh, complete true thing to say that, it is, that Jesus is God, and it's a complete true thing to say that Jesus is man. And so in the same way, we don't want to make some kind of a mixture that uh, this is 50% Christ's body um, and then 50% bread, uh, that would be a definition that would fit under consubstantiation, which we reject. Okay? Sound good? Uh, got it. Okay. So mine is Adiaphora. All right, read your email. Here it is. It's from Michelle. Maybe Michelle, but we don't want to leave out any of the letters. Love the praise cruncher. However, 
In meditating on the Psalms, it occurred to me that many of them would not pass. They're quite emotional and feelings-oriented, you'll see, becoming mystical. Uh They also sound experience-based, often describing the psalmist sighing, crying out, yearning, anguish, loneliness, my heart, this, my heart, that. They often describe the work of the singer and not that of God. I will sing, I will stand, my heart is steadfast, I look to you, etc. They can be very repetitive. For example, Psalm 136. Some allude to the gospel, but many don't. And obviously, outside of a few messianic ones, there are no mentions of Jesus. Hmm? The Psalms were not only Israel's songbook, but the New Testament believers commanded to sing them as well. Ephesians 5, verse 19. What do you think about this? Michelle? Uh, sorry, Michelle, about my co-host. He has this thing about silent letters. I do, man. I'm bringing silent back. Like me and Justin Bieber. <laughs> yes. So um, in this, we're going to do some praise song crunching things to Michelle. Yes, thank you. Now, Michelle brings up, she likes the cruncher, she says. This is has a little bit of the smell of a seminar caller. Um, but anyway, I think it could be a right question that Michelle is wondering about this. And the question has come before. Uh, 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 what about the Psalms? Would they pass? Now, I do not think that one of our, um, hmm, one of our criteria is is it experience based? Although we do are looking for feelings, but one thing that we don't want to say about the Psalms is that they're mystical. Uh, in fact, the the Psalms, by their very nature, being God's word written out, <laughs> are are anti mystical. Now, the other thing we say that's about like, the Psalms... That's, so that's a little bit like saying um, baptism is just a little bit too mystical. Right. Well, by its very nature, it's a means of grace, and, right. and, and mysticism is um, God's presence apart from his means. That's right. Okay. Now, the other thing we say is we would never crunch the Psalms. The Psalms are God's word. They crunch us. So it would not <laughs> be right to say that the, the, the psalms do not uh, make it through the cruncher. That would just be completely an inappropriate way to do it. But what the email indicates is that the cruncher might not be a helpful tool because if the psalms, which are God's God-given forms of worship, do not pass the cruncher, then maybe our standard is too high. In other words, the cruncher, if, if the cruncher does not let the psalms be appropriate then the cruncher would be wrong. So there's repetition and this sort of thing. Now, uh, I, I think that's fine, a fair criticism, but I think the way to actually look at it would be to look at the particular psalms, um, to, to look at the uh, psalms that are, for example, very emotive and, do, and don't mention Christ and actually pay attention to them and see if they do. Because I'm afraid one of the things that contemporary worship has actually done is to try to convince us that you can have a Christless worship, and now we start to see that in the Psalms. Whereas when we read the Psalms rightly, we see Christ there all the time. Aha! Uh-huh. All right, so when we get back, we'll try this with a praise song. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Take me to church, This is Dr. Carl Fikencher, professor at Concordia Theological Seminary. Table Talk Radio is the best radio program ever. Okay, I said it. Now we let me go. Okay, now here's the deal. I'll try to educate you. Gonna 
song? Yeah. Work on that the anti-Twitter? No LOL. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Michelle, uh, now we were reading this email from Michelle who asks, what about the repetition? It seems like the Psalms have a lot of repetition. Is that a valid criticism of a praise song? Now we're going to test that out with the song recently played in the Concordia Seminary Chapel Loft by Chris Tomlin. That's the big brouhaha on the Internet. Now, it's amazing to me. I mean, the Internet is normally a very quiet and peaceful place. So when a controversy breaks out on Facebook, I'm drawn to it. You know, I mean, it hardly happens. So there is a controversy. I, see, I don't have Facebook, so I don't know how this goes, but I'm sensing a, just a, a touch of sarcasm in what you're saying. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> the seminary posted a thing up there of these kids that were singing the, uh, the Chris Tomlin song. So we're going to listen to it and see if it's a helpful song or not. See how it does on the praise song cruncher. All right, so before that, we need to go on through the praise song cruncher. Oh, man, so we got to do that all the time. Hey, be, this, all right, this might we got be five questions. first time listening. Like Probably, all, all I know. Listeners. All right, come on. Let's try to catch up, listener. <laughs> we can't repeat everything we've said. <laughs> now, the praise song cruncher is a tool for diagnosing the usefulness of the praise song, and it has five questions. One, is Jesus mentioned? Yes or no. Two, is it mystical in form, namely noted by incomplete sentences, which Tomlin is famous for? He's the king of the sentence fragment. And also, is it very repetitive? That's one of the marks of mysticism, in fact, that it works you up into a kind of ecstatic frenzy. Uh, third is, is it mystical in content? Does it talk about losing yourself? Does it talk about being absorbed, lost, touching God on the inside? Any sort of unmediated contact with God, the mark of mysticism. Fourth, is it about, uh, oh, yeah, is there, wait, oh, yeah, law and gospel. Is there any law in it, and is there any gospel in it, and is it mixed up, or is it falsely, you know, et cetera? And then the last question is, uh, is, is there any false doctrine? Now, failing on one account does not necessarily th mean the thing fails, but it's a diagnostic to help you get your, your claws into the thing so you can see what you're dealing with. It's like, you know, when you're trying to catch a greased pig, you got to grab it from all angles. I do that almost every day. Mm -hmm. So we are the we are the greased pig wrangler, theological greased pig wranglers here for your uh, to serve you. I thought the analogy was the watermelon rub in like Vaseline. Thrown the, in the Vaseline pool. watermelon in the pool that works too. Pick your you can basically whatever you want to grease up and try to grab a hold on. <laughs> that is a sufficient metaphor. All right, here is our friend Chris Tomlin in the song Forever. I forgot to edit out the intro. It's last forever. Explain the cruncher during the intro. Thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love. 
So the, the audio that we had there, was that the audio from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis? Oh, it sounded about the same. Okay. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's different. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I didn't really, I wasn't paying too close attention. They didn't sing the whole song in this little clip. It was just a 30-second deal. So Now, uh, let's see. We got the lyrics before. So here's the next stanza. From the rising to the... From the rising to the setting sun, his love endures forever. That's kind of ironic. Because, you know, the rising and the setting of the sun is actually a, a definitive day, like which is the opposite of forever. Okay. I mean, but who would argue that it's like, well, God, I mean, what about from the setting of the sun to the rising? No, now, now, you aren't actually arguing that God's love endures only for a couple of hours. <laughs> And he's like, Chris Thomas is like, hey, look, there's all these people out there that think God's love just lasts for a couple hours, but it's not true. His love endures forever from the rising of the sun to the setting. Doesn't even, is it, do you see this? This does not make sense. And by the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Now, here's the next part. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever. Repeat. Sing praise, sing praise times four. Hmm. Forever God is faithful, repeat, repeat, repeat. So I think that there might be some repetition in this. Yeah. There might be I mean, whatever. some whatever. I mean, it's not as bad as some, which is like repeat 14 times. <laughs> but you could be creative, you know. If everyone's into it, you don't want to stop. It says like times two, and then that you're supposed to times four. Yeah, times seven squared. <laughs> four. How many times are we supposed to sing this song? Seven times seven? No, I tell you, 70 <laughs> times seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're going to ask the questions, though. we got to give this a straight-up crunch. Yes, okay? this is objective. Is Jesus mentioned? Answer, no. No, Jesus. I thought when it started talking about the most, the most non-abstract part of the song, which is marked with abstraction, it is almost pure abstraction, as is Chris Tomlin's style. Now, when it on. actually mentions God's arm with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm which is just lifted from the song our god is an awesome god. <laughs> are we I mean that's also a scripture. Are we going to be responding to Michelle during the course of this crunch? So yes. so so her contention is that a lot of the psalms don't use the name of Jesus. How do you respond? Well, hold on. We that's the next part. So we're asking that oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Jesus so the question is Jesus mentioned is there. Now, I don't think that's true. So first of all, we remember whenever we see the word lord uh, all capital letter, letters in the Old Testament, that, that's uh, Yahweh. 
And that's the name of the Lord. Now, it can be talking about the Father or about the Son or really, for that matter, about the Holy Spirit. But most of the time that we see Lord in the Old Testament, it is, in fact, talking about Jesus. And whenever we're talking about the Lord's word, his his speaking to us, then we are certainly talking about Christ in the Old Testament. Because John chapter 1 says that uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. So that that we can't go back to the Psalms and read some sort of abstract God as if Christ is not there. He certainly is there. uh, And... uh, so many of the psalms are about Jesus. I mean, the Messianic psalms, there's there's multitudes of them. And when we see the New Testament reading the Old Testament, it, it's telling us that they're talking about Jesus. I mean, just off the top of my head, like in Hebrews, uh, Psalm chapter 2, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Well, that's about Jesus. Or Psalm chapter 8, what is the son of man that you're mindful of him? Well, that's about Jesus. Or Psalm 68, he ascended into heaven. Well, that's about Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's about that's about Jesus. The Lord the, said the, to the, my Lord, said at my right hand. Yeah, yeah. So that the uh, so that whenever the New Testament reads the Old Testament, it's 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 reading there that there's Jesus. And more than that, so many of the Psalms are pointing us towards Zion, towards God's holy hill, towards God's throne. And this is all pointing us not only to, to Jesus, but to his work, which he is, which he which he preaches in the temple and which he accomplishes in Jerusalem on the cross. And we can't, so, so in other words, we have to resist the temptation to think that that the Psalms are some sort of incarnationless uh, abstraction about God. They they are almost every single Psalm. And again, we kind of have to look at it example by example is talking about the specifics of the incarnation. Now, that is in opposition to this forever song by Chris Tomlin, which is not talking about Jesus. There's nothing at all to indicate that the person being sung to is Jesus. It's simply the abstract God and Lord. Okay, now let's go to the question of mystical form, and one of the things that it considers is repetition. Yes, this is very, very repetitious, and it has that kind of, you know, the old-style 90s praise song beat to it, which kind of hammers in that repetition. But even more than that, the second question of mystical form is, does it use... Um, does it use complete sentences? And really, this is uh, the answer is no. Um, it's it's a it's a complicated structure. I mean, to try to figure out if it's using sentences. So, for example, the first part: "Give thanks to the Lord our God and King; His love endures forever, for He is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever." You, that four on there makes it into a sentence fragment and wants to connect it with one thing or the other, and 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 that's why this gets kind of muddled up. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, His love endures forever. That's not a sentence. Um, I mean, unless you put a comma there and you make with a mighty hand and outstretched arm uh, a description of how His love endures forever. But then listen to the next one. For the life that's been reborn, his love endures forever. I mean, unless you're taking those little sentence fragments and making them modification of the enduring character of his love to force it into a grammatical thing. But still, this is the point. It doesn't say anything. I mean, it's not actually making a point. It's just throwing out images, which is what which is what the mystic wants to do now the mystic who's listening to this says well what's the big deal you don't need sentences and for that we say well congratulations you're a mystic (laughs) you're doing what you're trying to do but for those of us who want the song to either be true or false we must insist on sentences see and and that's one step is using sentences 
or sorry, using words and not sentences. I think to even be more missing, you, you'd make noises but not words. You'd be like, now that's real. That's real mysticism. You're not, even, you're not even going to be so definite to use words. All right. That's probably a pretty good place for us to take a break. And then we'll be back for more Table Talk Radio, the praise on Crunch here right after this. Don't go away. This is for the soul, yeah, this is for the soul. You gotta feel it, feel it. You gotta hear it, hear it. Some nights I stay up casting in my padlock. Some nights I call it a draw. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are going through a crunch, and Pastor Wolfmiller, I have a question for you because... You have into the praise song cruncher criteria that a uh, song should not be repetitious because it is um, given to mysticism, and yet Michelle pointed out that many of the psalms are also repetitious. So, for example, Psalm 136 says, To him who alone does great wonders for his love, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever, etc. So if the Psalms employ such repetition, what would be wrong with the praise song employing such repetition? Well, we, have, we have hymns that are very repetitious also. I was noticing this uh, singing the eight stanzas of I Know That My Redeemer Lives the other day. And every single stanza starts, I know that my Redeemer lives. And then it goes on to... He lives, da, da, he lives, he lives. And it, it's very, very repetitive. We have a, a bunch of Easter hymns that have the same thing. Though you'll have, I remember one time I counted the Alleluia's we sang at Easter. It was like 79 Alleluia's and 53 Hallelujah's. You know, it was a bunch. <laughs> now, uh, so that there's a sense that there can be repetition used, that you can repeat phrases. And that's what this psalm does, in fact, it kind of in a call and response. So if you're there in the temple in Jerusalem and the priest starts chanting Psalm 136, everyone can respond and his love endures forever. Uh, and they can join in on that. Uh, almost like in the litany when the pastor gives a prayer and, and people say, Lord, have mercy. Uh, but here's the, uh, the thing that's different about the psalm is that the other parts are changing all the time. So the Lord created the world. His love endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Uh, the Lord formed the sea. His mercy endures forever. The Lord made the oceans. His mercy endures forever. The Lord planted the plants. His mercy endures forever. He rescued his people from Egypt. You see, it's changing. Now, one of the marks of the praise song is that the repetition is not changing, but driving the same thing over and over and over into your mind. Uh, so that you, you have this kind of, you, you start to have a mindless repetition. The Psalms never have a mindless repetition, but the praise songs are encouraging that kind of repetition where you're simply, you know, repeat four, 70 times, seven times. Okay, so some repetition is okay as long as it... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a repetition of a different kind. It's, it's just not repeating the same thing. In the Psalms, you're always, you would never have the same, you would never have a Psalm where you have the same verse and you would say it four times in a row. Okay, so, so the, the term for these praise songs used to be 7-11 songs, right? So you have 
seven words and you sing them eleven times, <laughs> and and so the the goal there is that you can just keep singing this over and over and over, so you can kind of shut off the brain, right? And no longer needing to engage intellectually or rationally here. And now that kind of taps into the emotional aspect of the worship experience. Would you say that's true? Uh, yes. That's the goal. Okay. All right, let's continue in a praise song crunch. What about mystical content? This is when we're looking for uh, like a direct connection with God, touching, feeling God, etc., and among other things. Yeah, it doesn't get there. Uh, it, no, it is. Now, now the mystical uh, content, so, so now we have to actually look at the words of the song and say, what is it saying? And, um, I mean, it, it says his love endures forever, which is what Psalm 36 says, his love endures forever. But it, Correction, his steadfast love endures forever. S- sorry. Um, I guess, I wonder what, tr- you know, you could probably get that love out of that. That's the word <laughs> hesed, right, in the Hebrew. So uh, loving faithfulness. That word I'm <laughs> hesed is basically if you just take all the kind of gospel words like mercy and grace and love and kindness and truthfulness and faithfulness and all the words that describe God and his works towards us according to the gospel and wrap it up into one, that's the word you get. Chesed. Must be pronounced that way every time. I know four Hebrew words. I get excited when one of them that I know comes up on the show. Are you checking? Yeah. I'm, I'm, you have it? Uh, I'm getting there. Hold on. Okay. But but what is going on in between? Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. He he is good. He is above all things. Okay, so the goodness of God, the his above all things. Um uh let's see. You're right uh, you're right on Hesed, by the way. On Hesed? Oh you mean <laughs> oh, Hesed? A mighty hand and outstretched arm. That normally, the uh, mighty hand and outstretched arm, that's normally talking about the power of God, etc. For the life that's been reborn, that's the closest that we get to kind of a mention of a gospel-y sort of thing. God is faithful. Okay, that's true. God is strong. This is true. God is with us. This is true. I mean, this is all true. But it's not yet good news. It is, it's not yet... Uh, it's not yet bringing to us Jesus, but it also is not mystic. This is, I, I do not think that these lyrics are mystical in any sort of way. They are, yeah, they are in content. They are an abstraction. Hmm. Okay, uh, law and gospel. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, did she did did Michelle take issue with any mystical content of? praise songs oh yeah, she, ta- so, no. she talked oh, about she the, the experience based but um oh, so that the psalmist yeah, talks about sighing crying out yearning loneliness my heart yeah, is yeah. this my heart that's, is that that's true now one of the things we can notice by the way when we look at the psalms is when it's an individual psalm or when it's a corporate psalm it takes upon itself a little bit of a different flavor so a lot of the very emotive psalms are very personal i me Whereas they, they tone down that emotional thing when they become plural. We, uh, hear, oh, Lord, hear us, etc. So it's something to be, you know, is the psalm being used, is it being given to us to use individually or is it given to us to use corporately? Now, that doesn't mean we can't use the individual psalms in corporate worship or stuff like that. But it's just something to notice that David was aware of that difference as well. But also, it, it, here's the difference between the psalms 
and the um, and the praise song, the Psalms, as especially as they are God's word to us, are going to be working in our heart to bring us through the emotional difficulties of despair and and confusion and and and, and fear and pain and suffering and all to a place of trust in the Lord. So almost all the Psalms, especially those very emotive Psalms, will end with something like, I cry out to the Lord and he hears my voice. They end with a kind of confidence. Now, the praise song and the emotiveness of the praise song is doing something different. Um, now, I think this could be changing. And, and I, I'm starting to wonder if we're seeing a second or third or fourth shift in the praise song. And it's moving a little bit away from this. It seems like in some of our more recent crunches that the praise songs have been moving in a more objective sort of bent. But the but the old motive of the stirring up the emotions was that I would have the experience of the presence of God. Now, this is what when we remember when we interviewed the old Chris Tomlin mm-hmm. and he's and we said, what's the goal of the praise and worship? And it's to bring people into the presence of God. And, and how do you know when you're in the presence of God? Well, you know it now here. You, you, you just know it. You, you have that internal kind of fifth eye mystical sense that that the, the heart antenna that you tunes you into eye? divine. Where are the other two? Uh, third eye. <laughs> Sorry, lost count. Now the uh, the you just Four the, eyes. the idea is that you you got to know you have to have some sort of experience that you're in the presence of God. Now we normally say, hey, that's that's a that's why the praise songs fo- focus on emotions and on feelings. But that's actually not right. That's just the only way we have to talk about it because the the praise songs are going for something more than emotions and feelings. That if they're going for this inner sense of the divine presence. But the only really way we know how to talk about that is our emotions. That's how mm. we. That's our sensation of what's happening inside of us. So it's not really the, the critique that the praise songs are emotional is not a val, It's not a real critique. It's just as close as we can talk about it until we figure out whatever this kind of mystical thing is. And believe me, whenever the praise song writers figure out what that is, they're going to tell us, <laughs> you know, they're going to have a name for it. They'll probably find some ancient, you know, Sanskrit word for it. And they'll tell us, but that so that's what the, is the difference between the emotiveness of the psalms and the emotion centeredness of the praise song. But for now, I mean, um, so what, what you're saying is is that they're not really about they're not really going for the emotions. That's not really the end game. It just so happens that the emotions are the closest thermometer to the uh, the God within, the God that is connecting with me within, and. Um, that sets off certain alarms in my emotions, but that's that's the only way that I can know that God has connected with me within. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We say I feel it. We do, we just don't have another word for it. Like, you, we can't say I smell God within or I <laughs> I see God within. Although sometimes the language of seeing God will sneak in there. Or I yeah. But but it's a so the the feel the feeling is the only way we know how to talk about it but you're right that's an inadequate way to talk about it but this is the idea of the praise song now remember all of you who are getting mad at us for talking about this song that chris tomlin would not be mad at us for talking about the song this way because this is what he's trying to do mm-hmm. i mean when we say hey you know the these praise songs are, are mystical and you're like ah quit being so mean it's not being mean to the praise song writers they don't they're not offended that they're mystics because they're mystics 
I mean, do, do you see? Yeah. We, we are, uh, think that this is being mean, but it's because we come from a theological tradition that recognizes the dangers of mysticism. And the more we sing the praise songs, the more open we become to fail to see the dangers of this mysticism. But this is not an insult to the praise song cruncher. It'd be like, uh, like going to, uh, you know, a really uh, dark movie that uses a lot of bad words and saying, hey, that movie was really filthy. And the, the people producing the movie be like, right on. It's not a criticism to them because it was what they were trying to do. Right. And, uh, well, it gets. We have to take a break. Only one more segment left. We're going to finish up me? this crunch. This and crunch is taking forever. We're going to dive into Bible Bee. Did we announce that we're going to play Bible Bee today? Nope. We're going to play Bible Bee today. All right. We'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio after this. Best show ever. Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Haters of modern music. <laughs> That's Table Talk Radio. You just don't like praise songs because all you listen to is Bach. That's right. Baby, baby, I've worked it. <laughs> I, you know, the thing, one of the modern trends in music is the saxophone kind of in the hip hop, which yeah. I really think is great. But then that song that you played is like the only one that is in any way appropriate for Christian ears. Halfway, yeah. Yeah, and it's on the edge. <laughs> True. I agree with that assessment. <laughs> hey, all you listen to is Bach. You hate contemporary music because you're boring and you have no sense of humor. Clearly, I and your old funny duddies by using a funk song with saxophone. I have firmly <laughs> put myself into that the song realm of cool. is so 2014 though. <laughs> Get with the times. All right, all right. The very definition of the word contemporary, by the way, is temporary. I mean, this is the part of the problem of. That we should not have temporary worship. In fact, <laughs> in fact, the very thing that Chris Tomlin wants to sing about, how God, his love endures forever, is, is undermined by the fact that he's writing a song that will be sung for two years and thrown out. So are you saying that uh, worship is the thing that delivers the faith to the saints of God, and when we engage then in contemporary worship, we shouldn't be surprised when people only temporarily possess this faith? <laughs> All I could say is you sound like you went to Fort Wayne. I know. Okay, so we're going to finish up this crunch. Any other—oh, wait, Law Gospel. Is there see any Law Gospel directly uh, distinguished? Yeah, I was thinking that? about that Law Gospel question. I don't, I don't think so, in fact. I do not think there's Law and Gospel. I mean, in the sense of there's a, the abstraction of the Lord's kindness. Now, in the Psalms, of course, we understand that the Lord, his, his, that his enduring forever love is manifest in Christ. And it's, sometimes it's nice to sing about that, you know. But this song does not. It does not talk about sin. It does talk about the strength of God, which is one of the marks of the hymns of the theologians of glory, which, I mean, I think Chris Tomlin probably would fall into that. So to kind of read the song in an integrity, it is kind of a pure praise song in the sense that it's simply saying, here's the awesome things about God. And it's not so interested in 
seeing those awesome things about God demonstrated in the actual works of God, which he does. The one place it talks about this idea of rebirth for the life that's been reborn, his love endures forever. Mm. That could be interpreted as a, a the doctrine of eternal, what is that called? Where the Calvin, the holy headlock that the Calvinists put us in? Um, that you can't lose your salvation. Uh, oh, Perseverance uh, of the saints. Yeah. See, yeah. To the, for the life that, that's been reborn as love endures forever, like once you're a Christian, you can't lose it. I, but I don't actually think it's clear enough to be asserting that sort of thing. There's not, there's not, so there's not a, a, a clarity of law here, and neither is there a clarity of gospel, simply because the song is really just putting forth the adjectives uh, about God, these abstractions. Fair enough. And other false doctrine. So I don't think so. I mean, unless that one we just talked about, Perseverance of the Saints. But it's not, it's not, it does not get close enough to making assertions to actually determine if it's true or false, which is why it's helpful to, to you know, if you want to, th- this is how the, uh, the people who want to bring the contemporary worship into a traditionally geared church, these, these are the kind of songs that they bring because they say, well, what's wrong with it? Where's the false doctrine? And to, to, the, to that, we have to say, well, where's the true doctrine? You know, what 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 is it actually asserting? Right. Okay, I think that song is crunched. Now, Michelle continues in her email. She says, P.S. Also heard you discussing the scripture recently, no one seeks God, etc. I've heard a lot of Reformed teachers agree with this. I agree with you. That it seems in Christ, God seeks us. However, what do you do with verses like, seek and ye shall find, knock, etc.? Also, and if you seek me with your whole heart, promises. Okay? So, this inspired us, Michelle, to play the game Bible Bee. So, yeah. And this is going to go one direction. I'm going to get all the points in theory. Uh, uh, yeah. Or all the shame. <laughs> we Are you ready? We Here is, this is the seek themed Bible Bee. So, I don't have three verses, one versus one word because that word seek would not quite count. So I will give you just verses. <laughs> okay, give me verses. And I'll try to get to those verses that she said. But here, before that is, well, I'll give you the first one that uh, that Michelle mentioned. And that is, uh, seek and you will find. That's it? Yeah. Knock, what well, you continues, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Uh, ask uh, and it will be given to you. That's yeah, yeah, how that yeah. goes from memory. Um, this uh this, that? this is from the gospels Jesus is uh speaking here. So um this could be in Matthew. This could be in Mark. This could <laughs> be in Luke. Let's just see if Pastor Gagline remembers the gospels in John. Um <laughs> So I'm going to go with the gospel according to Saint Matthew. Uh you're right. Sermon on the Mount. I think it's also in Luke, but... 200 oh. points for me. Okay. Oh, we have points on this game. So there you go. So here you have a verse that is uh, uh, knock and it shall be open to you. Now, I think if I remember right, the context in which um, Jesus is speaking is not uh, the unregenerate becoming regenerated. That is, the unconverted becoming converted, uh, an unbeliever becoming a believer, but rather... Uh, he is teaching about prayer so that those who are his children would uh, look to their Heavenly Father as the one who gives every good and perfect gift. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, you're right. 
All right. I want to more points. Let's go. Okay. Here's another one. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. I'll, I'll give you another verse. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I think this comes in the Old Testament. Um, oh, that's Old Testament! Old <laughs> Testament! <laughs> and um, Recognize that movie quote? No. Um, what is that That's movie? the evangelism linebacker. Oh. So it's not a movie, it's just a silly YouTube video, huh? Short movie. Uh, I think this is Jeremiah. Is this Jeremiah? You are right! Jeremiah 29. Bing! Bing, 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 bing! Now this is where um, the Lord is setting up the thing that um, he wants and expects of his, of his, of his people. That, mm-hmm. you know, so, so here's, here's the, one of the huge key words of the law it's that little two-letter word, if, <laughs> and when you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we call it. Uh, you know, so that makes a thing conditional. So if I say, um, Pastor Wolfner, I will give you five thousand dollars if you give sweet if you give me your car. Um, then if he doesn't give me the car, he doesn't get five thousand dollars, and so. Um, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. This is a law statement. And so the problem is, is that sinful humanity doesn't seek him with their whole heart. And so it's, we're going to get to that. Okay. Don't get ahead of yourself for Whoa. the next verse. Here's the other thing, though. Remember that in Jeremiah's day, the Lord had dragged the people off to to uh, to Assyria or to Babylon and um, for idolatry because they were seeking after other gods. So the seeking of God there is really an equivalent for repentance. You see, uh-huh. uh, and and it and it also brings with it the promise that the Lord would restore them. In other words, you you've been punished for your sin, but you're not gone forever. But your point is well taken that it is talking to those who are called by the Lord's name. So it's talking about the the, the Christians. Okay, ready for this next one? Ready. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Now this could be a trick. Mm-hmm. Because I think this could appear in one part of the Bible and also be quoted in another part of the Bible. What? Who it, would do that to you? It, That's so mean. It just so happens, I know this appears in the uh, New Testament and the Old Testament. And it yeah. also happens that I know the New Testament book, but not the Old Testament book. So I'm going to go with <laughs> <laughs> what is <laughs> Romans. Hold on. Let me look at the quotation here. <laughs> All right, you can have it. Woo! Romans chapter 3. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Quoted from Psalm 14 and 53. I thought so. Okay, so there uh, we now have. Now, what about this? Yeah, there we have where um, the, the Lord is showing, putting out to us that, uh, yes, he does want us to seek him. But in our sin, we don't. And our uh, sin, our original sin given to us by Adam, um, our fallen to sin, um, renders us incapable of seeking him like he wants us to. True, true. And now notice here that this is talking about the, uh, the this is talking about the unbeliever. So the will of the unbeliever is bound from seeking God. This is this is the point why we, when we say there's no such thing as a seeker, mm-hmm. that is an unbeliever who is who is exercising their will towards God and His grace. 
That is the thing excluded by Paul in this quote here in Romans. Right. Okay. Um, I think that's going to be all the time we have unless you have another Oh, come on. One more. Here's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that may I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. All right. All right. That's it. Do you want eight seconds to comment on that? Uh, This is the Christian's desire to seek the Lord and his kindness, and we find it in Christ. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like being Chris Tomlin's grammar teacher. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Another Radio is not for Chris. everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences. For the clock imagery, psychosis, chroma, dash, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.